Is that the truth? Amen. You can come here today saying, I love them better today than I did yesterday. I love them better right now sitting in this presence than I did yesterday. Sitting in my own living room, relaxing, yesterday. But I'm happier here on a hard wooden pew to hear the word of God. You love them better? Amen. <laughs> Amen. It's good to be here. It's... Uh, as was mentioned, Brother Ed is traveling, and we want to keep him in our prayers. Amen. And certainly are happy to be in the house of the Lord, happy to be with each one of you, and thank you to the musicians. That's, that's all we'll do for singing for now. Being a Wednesday night, we'll try not to take too long with the preliminaries or with the speaking. Well, I feel like I have liberty now. Nobody said amen right there. <laughs> amen. Let's take our Bibles together. We'll turn to the book of Ephesians, if you will. Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 17 says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being, of your understanding being enlightened that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. What is the ex exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principalities and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church." which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Amen. Let's bow our heads together. O gracious heavenly Father, Lord, as we've been just reading that word again, there's so much. You could stop on each statement, Lord, and just allow your Holy Spirit to come to minister to our hearts. Father, tonight I pray, Lord, that you would just speak sovereignly as you see fit, Lord. And Lord, not that it would be the words of a man, but Lord, 
that we would go from here, Lord, with our hearts afire. The flame, Lord, freshly fanned and burning high. Ready, Lord, to face the onslaught of the enemy, Lord. For we desire that you would ignite in us the spirit of wisdom and revelation. As Paul prayed for the Ephesian church, these words, Lord, may it also be for a church here in this day. As, Lord, this was our type, the Ephesian church, Lord, that we are here today in the end time. That we would have a spirit of wisdom and revelation burning within us. Father, I commit myself to you, these people, your people, the ones that you've chosen before the foundation of the world. You foresaw everyone that would make it, everyone that would stream tonight. Father, may you bless each one. Go to where each one is at in their seat, in their pew, in their home. Lord, may you minister to our needs, Lord, as only you can do. Father, we commit it into your hands, praying that you would have the preeminences in the body tonight. In Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. May the Lord have his blessing to the word. You may have your seats. I want to speak tonight and we'll just take wisdom by revelation part two. And for a subtitle we'll say wisdom of an expected end. Sorry, Sister Ruth, I'm changing that on the fly. Wisdom of an expected end, which will probably be part one of that. So if you don't mind a complicated title, we'll go with a complicated title. But uh, we'll just trust in the Lord tonight. And by the grace of God, maybe set a bit of a stage for Sunday as, as Lord willing, if the Lord would tarry, I'll be speaking Sunday morning as well. So we'll just kind of set a platform so Sunday morning we can just step right in and and allow the Lord to lead. So not that tonight is just a little bit of sim- simplicity, but there's going to be something in it for you, if you expect it. Amen. Amen. All right. Now we read in, in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 17, talks about a spirit. The spirit of wisdom and revelation. In the, and, and, and in the knowledge of him, it's not just that we would have wisdom or that we would have revelation but it's given by a spirit. And, and, and as we know it to be the Holy Spirit. It's, it's nothing new to us because we're taught well in the scriptures. Amen? Yeah. All right. Amen. I forget. It's Wednesday night. All right. It's Wednesday night. <laughs> Amen. We just, we'll just be at home tonight. Good. All right. So it's a spirit, and, he, brother, and Jesus will talk about it as the spirit of truth, and it'll lead in God. It's a God. It'll lead you into all truth. It'll lead you to an end. It'll lead you to an expected. It'll bring you to something. A God is taking you somewhere. It's not something that's just stationary. A God doesn't sit you down in, the, in a room and say, now just read this novel with me or this manual with me, and we'll just stay right here. No, a God is hired for the purpose of taking you a place, taking you to a destination. Amen. To an expected end, you've hired the guide to get to that place because you believe the guide knows the way. 
Not just because you had met some random person on the street, say, you know the way over here. Sure, yeah, take me there. They might have no idea, but you went and you sought somebody out and you hired somebody that was recommended, that came with a high recommendation, a high review. They know the way. If you, if you were to ask a climber that was wanting to climb a high mountain or Mount Everest, perhaps, they wouldn't hire guides that it's their first time on the mountain because to them it was their first time. They were looking for someone who knew where the crevices were, who knew where the ladders were, who knew where the best trail was, who knew the right way to go, who knew how to take the right direction even when it came to a fork in the road. And one way looked better to the eyes and the guide said, this way is better. They would go that way because the guide knows what's around the corner, not just what's right in front of them. Because the person who's hired, they can only see for the first time where they're at. And the church of God, let me tell you, we've never been this way before. The church today, the bride of Christ, has never been where we are now. We are at a certain place. Brother Branham, I was just listening this afternoon, said if he could have the choice to minister in any age, he would have chosen this age. Because this is a special age. It's a special time. There's revelation right now that nobody else had in previous ages. They look to it. They long to see it. But it's something that's been revealed and unfolded in this day. So he said, this is the place they couldn't see it. They couldn't see where the Holy Spirit was leading all along, but it knew what was around the corner. Amen. So all it took was somebody to have enough faith to trust the guide to get to around the corner. Because if you split from the guide, you might end up in certain death. You might end up down the wrong path. You might end up in some other country and some other place. You need somebody who knows where they are. Amen. Praise be to God. So here we have, it's a, it's a God or us, the spirit of truth, which is a God. And Paul begins to write and say, I pray that God would give you, that you would have the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Amen. That it wouldn't just be a spirit of wisdom, that you would be wise, but it would be by revelation. That it would be God revealing himself, guiding you and leading you down life's path to the ways that you need to go. There's many times we don't know and we don't know what tomorrow holds. We might have a certain plan for what we think is going to happen tomorrow. Last night I had a certain plan that I could leave at a certain time this morning and get to my job this morning at a certain time. But the roads decided differently. See, I thought I had a plan, but God said, that's not a good enough plan. You better leave a few minutes earlier so you can make it there at the right time. Because that plan wasn't good anymore. We don't know what tomorrow holds. Maya might warm up tomorrow and be real nice. Wouldn't that be nice? It might be frozen, frozen cold. And we're like, oh, man, I don't want to go outside of this house. It might be. We don't know what tomorrow holds. Even the weatherman, he puts up his best, best guess. He says, there's a cold front moving in, but the next thing you know, the wind changes and something happens and all of a sudden it's all different. Or Chinook happens and it warms right up and things begin melting and it's a giant mess again and they don't understand it. Why? Because it's nature, it's changing, it's going this way and that way. And then if there's something even better than that, you could have God sovereignly intervene. My, then they really don't know what tomorrow holds. But there's one who knows. 
There's one who knows what tomorrow brings. There's one who already has been there because he knows the end from the beginning. He's already thought the day through. He already knows and he has thoughts of you, not just today, but tomorrow. If it would be the rapture in the morning, he knows already. And he knows who's going to be there. And he knows how we're going to get there. He knows exactly where we're going to be. That's the kind of God I want to have. One that knows exactly and is able more than that to reveal himself to me by revelation. So here we find that this is a spirit that we want and it says that your eyes of understanding being enlightened. Hallelujah. That our eyes of understanding, not just that we would hear it and it would fall on deaf ears. Not that it would just be I see something, but there would be an understanding in the eyes. Praise be to God. There will be an understanding of what we're going, what's happening. I just used the analogy of the roads this morning and I just, it took me longer to get there. It took a certain understanding to understand it would take longer. Because if I would have just driven the same speed, gone as fast as I could to get to the job, I'd be in the ditch. Because the roads were that icy and it was that way and that would be the end of it. And all of a sudden, it had to take an eye of understanding to perceive that ice goes slow. It had to take some understanding to, you say, oh, that's very simple. But the Word of God is that simple. He needs the, the guide, the Holy Spirit to open our eyes of understanding so we can perceive what we're looking at. And even as Brother Harold said it, that we would know the season that we're living in. Because it, 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 there's a bride in this day. There's a bride today that God has called, that God is, is moving in a certain season. There's many whose eyes of understanding are not open and they are called denominations. They are called by their creeds and by their dogmas. What are they doing? They're looking back to something that was of yesterday to a truth that was of yesterday, but their eyes of understanding are not open to the Word of God today to understand the season they're in. The Word of yesterday doesn't work today. But they can't understand that because their eyes have not been opened. That ye may know what is the hope of His calling and what the riches of the glory of his, of, the, of his inheritance in the saints. Let's skip over that for now. What is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe? Hallelujah. Wasn't just to everybody. Daniel, when Daniel was there in, in, in King Nebuchadnezzar's court, and King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, but he couldn't remember the dream. And he ordered everyone, all of his wise men, to come. But Daniel was not present. Neither was the Shadrach, Meshach, or Abednego. And there, there they were. And, they, and he made this declaration. Tell me the dream. And they couldn't. So he said, well, I'll kill all of you. That seemed mighty harsh. But my, he thought, you guys have all been lying to me saying you're wise men. And now you aren't. So they come to Daniel saying, we're here to kill you. What are you talking about? He doesn't know anything about it. So he goes over to the king. It wasn't for everybody to know the power of God. It was to those who believed. It wasn't for all those wise men to say, oh, I got access to God. I got access to God. No, they were pagans and sinners. But there was a man there who believed in the one true God. There was a Daniel who could see what no one else could see. Because there was a power of God that was revealed to him and to him alone. That the world knew nothing of. Why? Because he believed. 
So in the end of it, you find that even though all of these wise men, they were wise men, they knew astrology, they knew many mighty things, they knew science and knowledge, but that wasn't enough. They had to know a certain power because that couldn't tell you, I couldn't tell you what dream you had last night, Brother Ethan, if you had a dream. But God can because God knows it. Amen. God knows our thoughts. He knows the things we think. And Brother Bradham would say, our thoughts speak louder in heaven than our words do. What a harrowing thought, a hallowing thought. My, to think that even our thoughts, Lord, purify our thoughts. According to the working of his mighty power, verse 20, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in the world that is to come. This really takes out the respect of persons. When you realize the name of Jesus, Jesus was raised above every Elon Musk. He was raised above every Steve Jobs. He was raised above every Harold Hildebrand. He was raised above every Ron Spencer. He was raised above every Donnie Reagan. He was raised above every Bill Gates, every Donald Trump, every great person that you look at spiritually and naturally. Christ was put above all of that. Above every principality, every power, that he was raised on high, not this world only, but the world which is to come, that he would always be on the highest place. He would always be above all. Amen. There's nothing else that can compare to him. Oh my, my thoughts lately have been just revolving around, Lord, what, what can possibly compare to you? We spend so much time at work, so much time on the natural things, so much time worrying about the future, about our future and our, our natural future and our natural present and worrying about the past and, and the conviction and the, and the regrets and all of these things. But what about Christ? What about the one that ought to consume us all? He's the one who fills us all in all. He's the one who is our all in all. What about him? What did he do for us? What is he doing for us right now? What is he going to do? Lord, what would you have me to do? Oh, praise be to God. As I was talking on last Saturday, if anybody missed it, we had a birthday party for Brother Brandon. We had a wonderful time. And just the Lord gave me a little thought for them when Brother Brandon makes a statement and he says that when he moves, he moves. Talking about the Holy Spirit of God. You know, we often, we think we're going to do some mighty thing, and we do something, and it just affects those around about us. Maybe if I was to do something right now, it would just affect those that are sitting in this congregation, the few that are streaming, perhaps. And that's all it would really have an effect on. But God, when he moves, he really moves. And it has an effect on a far greater scale than what any one of us can affect on our own. But when God moves, there's a moving that takes place that goes beyond any Anything we can comprehend. That when God moves, oh my, I was even listening to it today. When Isaiah, he, he asked for a sign from God that he knew would be God's word after he'd went into Hezekiah and told him, you're going to die. Yeah. And then he's walking back out the gate. And then the word of God comes to him and says, go tell him he's now going to live. He says, wait a minute, give me a sign. So God turns the sun, the sun back. 
It affected everybody. It affected the world. Why? The astrologers around the world, everyone would begin to look at me like, hold on a second. Something just happened here. Something just took place. They didn't understand it, but when God moves, he really moves, and he says everything at his disposal. Praise be to God. Because he was raised to the right hand of God. And he's put all things under his feet. And gave him to be the head over all things to the church. It's to them that believe. It's not just that everybody and anyone would be a partaker, but it's to them that believe. He that heareth my words and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life. That word here, Brother Branham would say, it is not just here like to have ears, but it's to understand. He that understandeth my word. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. John 5, 24, so far down in my notes, I don't want to get to it yet. He that heareth my words. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6. We read this a couple Sundays ago. It says, How be it, we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Amen. Think on that for just a moment. If they would have had any idea who Jesus was, if they would have really caught it for a moment to show that it wasn't just the wisdom of man, it wasn't the wisdom of this world, for they could see and they could look and they could say, we know that you're a teacher sent from God. We know you're a master. We know when you were 12 years old, you were here confounding us in the scriptures and teaching us many things. We know these things and it's beyond what we can understand, but the revelation of who he was was withheld from them. And had they had that revelation, they would not have crucified him. But rather, when he came riding in on a donkey, they would have set him up as their king. Why? Because it would have been by revelation, and they would have known this is the Messiah. But their eyes were closed. Their eyes of understanding were made dim so they wouldn't catch the revelation so that there would be a space of grace of time for the Gentiles. Thank the Lord. But had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have it entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. Praise be to God. He didn't reveal it to us by some great sign or some great wonder. By his spirit, it is a secret, a hidden wisdom, a hidden manna, something that is within the hearts of man. Praise be to God. Not that he would be raised up to govern a nation, but that oh, Abraham would be the father of many nations. 
Catch that for a moment. Abraham, it talks about Romans chapter 4, it's the second last verse, that he will be the father of many nations. How many is many? Because he had literal children and he had, uh, the Israelites were his, were his seed. Naturally speaking, then you have through Esau, he raised up a nation. I believe it was the Edomites, forgive me if I'm wrong. But that was those ones. Then he also had Ishmael. And there was a nation that raised up under Ishmael. Well, that's three. And I'm sure there were more, but there was something else in many nations. Why? Because I'm calling a bride. It wasn't talking naturally. It was talking spiritually that there would be a bride, a, a, a spiritual seed of Abraham that would come from every nation, from every tongue. Yeah. Praise be to God. Yeah. For the Spirit searches all things. Yea, the deep things of God. I want you to catch that for a moment. There's no way to understand the deep things of God without the Holy Spirit. You might be able to skip over certain doctrines and you might be able to catch some things in, in Revelation and some things in, in, in baptism and some things in the Godhead and different, different aspects of different doctrines that you might be able to catch on your own. And you might be able to live that intellectually. But to go into the deep things of God, to go right down into knowing Him in a very personal level, you can only do it by revelation of the Holy Spirit. That's why a new birth is a personal revelation of who Jesus Christ really is to you. Praise be to God. It's not just something that's, that's a shallow or surface or a nice feeling. It's something that goes deeper than that and continues to go deeper. The deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man save the spirit of the man which is in him? So Paul begins to bring out a type as he's speaking to the Corinthians. He says, you want to know the deep things of God? It's simple. He says, you don't know. And I'll say, you don't know the deep things of me but me. Because those are the things that are in my spirit. Those are the things that I ponder on. Some of them or most of them, I whisper them in secrets to my wife and we begin to have fellowship upon them. But that's a husband to a wife. And even she can't begin to understand the deepest of feelings as a man that I have. Because she's not me, physically speaking. But, but, but what man, what, how can you get right to the deepest of hearts? And it's not even just that. Perhaps she could understand, but I can't describe it. I can't put words to it, intelligible words that would be understood. It's a natural type where he says, listen, sometimes words cannot describe. It has to go beyond that. It has to go so that it's God in you, so it's his spirit that begins to reveal the deep things of him. So that it's no longer your life and his life, it's his life in you. So that he can begin to reveal because then he doesn't have to explain it to you. It just becomes a reality to you. Oh, praise be to God. That's, why that's the only way you can understand the opening of the seventh seal. That's why there's a lot of people look at it and say the seventh seal is not open yet. Why? Because they're missing the spirit. 
They're missing the anointing to come down on the individual to, to anoint the word of God to make it real to them because it's too deep to understand on an intellectual level. As I said, I'm just laying a foundation, so hope it's okay. Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Now, I want to take a couple minutes on this, if you will. Wisdom. Of man, what has the wisdom of man ever produced? The wisdom of man has technically produced a lot of things. They've gone up the tree of knowledge of good and evil a long ways. They, as a matter of fact, they've got themselves out on so many branches, it's, it's beginning to droop back down. Where they've forgotten the roots of it all. They've forgotten where it all came from. They've forgotten so bad that the life that's in the tree of knowledge of good and evil is destroying them as they're climbing. Because in this they've created science and in science they've created automobiles and they've created bullets and they've created gunpowder. And they've created, Brother Brown would say, why well, they had swords and it, it, it killed so many gunpowder, killed so many automobile, killed so many more. Now they got the atomic bomb. Wonder what they're going to do with that. Yeah. What did that? The wisdom of man. And the wisdom of man, man's wisdom craves a seen and a certain present while creating an unforeseen and an uncertain end. Now let me say that again so you can catch it. I wanted to put it on the screen, but I didn't, I didn't have time to do it. Man's wisdom craves a seen and a certain present while creating an unforeseen and an uncertain end. That's what the wisdom of man does. That's why they created an atom bomb. Because they needed to end a war now. And in doing so, they created another war called the Cold War, which they couldn't see an end to. And they've created an end to the world, which they say if someone just pushes one button, it's over. Why? Because they needed a certain present. They needed to fix something now at the expense of the future. At the expense of their end, at the expense of what it would cost them down the road. It's not just in the present day, but it's also in the Bible. David, one time when David was running from Saul, he finally got so weary of running, he went to the Philistines for refuge. And he went right in there and they gave him a city of Ziklag and he dwelled there for so long. And what did it do? Having a certain present, it, it put his end into jeopardy. Where now he began to look at it, begin to think, why? But, but, but uh, it caused doubt from his own people onto him because now it looked like he'd switched sides. It looked like he was now on the Philistine side. It looked like he was now fighting for the evil. He was now fighting for the bad he once should hoard. He was now on their side. And even when it came time that they began to wage war with the Israelites, he had to go up with them. And, he, and he, he didn't know what he was going to do. He didn't want to fight against them. He began praying to God saying, Lord, it's in your hands now. 
Why did he come to that place? Because he'd sacrificed the end result for a, for a certain present in his own wisdom because he didn't seek the Lord in it. He didn't seek the face of God. He didn't seek God's wisdom. Lord, what would you have me to do when God's wisdom all along was for him to stay in the wilderness hiding from caves to caves? Because we see God's hand in that over and over and over and over again. David, even in his own wisdom, when he was hiding in a cave, Saul came up into the cave and took a rest. And David took in his own wisdom and cut off the, hem of, cut off the, the portion of his garment of the kingly robe. That was David's own wisdom. Thinking, well, I'll show him. Listen, he didn't have to do that if he would have actually just stood at the mouth of the cave and said, hey, look at us, we're right here, 600 men. That would have been enough. But in his own wisdom, he said, I'll make it certain and I'll take the corner and later on the scripture records his heart smote him. Why? Because he thought, oh, even if I haven't actually touched the flesh of Saul, I have touched God's anointed. I have cut the hem of his garment just that little bit. Just the little corner I've taken off is too much. I can't repair that. That's man's wisdom. It's sacrificing an end. And God had to intervene on David's behalf. Even, even the children of Israel wanting a king to begin with. When they came to Samuel saying, we would, we would desire a king. Why? Because they were tired of the cycle of judges. They were tired of a judge coming and he would drool over them. Everything would be well because they would turn to God. And then as soon as the judge was gone, they'd turn away from God. And the, and the opposing forces around would come in. And they would begin to afflict them. And all that caused great hurt and great loss and hunger and all of these things. And they would turn to God and God would provide them another judge. And they grew, grew tired of this. They said, just give us a king. We want a certain present. We want a scene and a, and a certain present so I would know that I'm, I've got a ruler that's going to protect me today. And in doing so, they sacrificed an end. They sacrificed a coming Messiah that if they would have stayed under judges, they probably would have recognized who he really was. Because they would have been constantly turning to God, turning to God, turning to God, turning to God. That when the Messiah came, they would have turned to him once again. But they turned their hearts completely and said, we want man's wisdom. We want a man to rule over us. We want a man to lead us. We want an army. We want all of these things that the other people have. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, church, what do we want today? Are we so busy looking and saying, oh, I want the things of the world. I want the nice house. I want the best phone. I want the best computer. I want the best car. I want the best job. That's what's pushing me. That's what's driving me. I'm saying, Lord, I want your will. What's pushing us? What's driving us? Is it the wisdom of man to see if I could just get this, I'd be okay. If I just get that, I'd be okay. You're sacrificing an end. You're sacrificing an expected end for a certain present. I really feel, church, if we spent more time on our knees, more time praying and asking God for his will, myself included, if I spent more time on my knees asking God, it would cause, it would cause me so much less heartache in the future. Because how many times have I made a decision on my own thinking, yeah, this just makes sense. Like David going to Ziklag, it just makes sense. My men don't have to dwell in the caves anymore. Everything will be okay. It just makes sense. 
But if we just seek the face of the Lord, say, God, what do you have in mind? Because it has not even entered into the hearts of man the things which he has prepared for you. We always want to put that off to the next world. So, oh, that's coming, Brother Andrew. That's my mansion over there. That's that over there. No, it says that he's revealing it to us by his spirit now. The other thing that the wisdom of man has created is creeds, which lead to denominations, dogmas. That's not the wisdom of God. That's the wisdom of man to say, listen, this seems to have worked so far. Let's just gather around this. Let's create a certain creed around this. If you just believe you got the Holy Ghost, let's just create a dogma around that. If you just, if you, if you just get baptized, you're good. We can create a creed around that. We can create a message creed around that. If you're baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you got it. No, sorry, you, that doesn't mean it. There's more to it. That's an outward confession of something that's already happened on the inside. That doesn't change a person. But that is a confession. And he is the high priest of your confession. I don't want to belittle it. But be careful, it's man's wisdom that creates a creed, that creates a dogma, that creates a denomination and a denominational spirit because it works on the wisdom of man. Something that makes sense in the mind. But God's wisdom doesn't operate that way. God never operates by reasoning. He operates by faith. And so much today, you know, we, we as young people, we've been raising the message. And it's become such commonplace sometimes where faith sometimes makes sense. And then this is preached and we think, oh, no, that must not be right because it makes sense to us. But the truth is, oftentimes, we've just been raising it our whole life. Been raising our whole life. I, I sometimes I, I find myself thinking that way. That I, that I go and it's just Wednesday night. You okay? All right. Good. But I find I've been raised so long in the message that I go, and I'm like, man, what's wrong with people? Why don't they just say thank you, Lord, and get up and keep moving? Because I was raised that way. I was raised that you walk by faith. Must therefore, that's my first thought. So often we think that way, and then, and then, and then, but it also can, can rob us from our faith, because then when it doesn't happen, we think, oh, man, it's not real. When the fact is, be careful of an intellectual faith. Is it just your upbringing, or is it real? That now, see, see, I bring it to this because Satan has devised devices to make it uh, um, so close. Where the, where the scripture says the two spirits would be so close it would deceive the very elected if it was possible. That's happening so much more today than any, any other time because you have now people that have been raised, young people, and they're getting into second generation that have been raised in the message. They know the message inside and out. Their first reaction is to quote a quote or to quote a scripture. We're going to say something else. And you, pretty soon you begin to make it a tradition. Yeah. And you begin to take the power out of it. Yeah. Why? Because it's just, I'll just quote a quote. And I'll just say a scripture. And I'll just, well, this will just make everything better. When it's faith in the word of God. Yeah. It's believing. It's really getting down and having faith and taking God at his word. Yeah. 
He says when the believer comes like that, then God gives him a checkbook for any redemptive blessing that he died for. That Jesus' name is signed at the bottom. If you're afraid to fill it out, if you're afraid to fill it out, you're a coward. You never come in contact with God. But you once get in contact with God and the Holy Spirit make and the Holy Spirit make Christ real to your heart. You're not afraid then to take God at His word anytime or believing because you've been in contact with the supernatural. You've come back into fellowship, you've come back into reconciliation through the blood, and you believe God, you've been in His divine presence. See, when you really come into that divine presence, it's something then that is real from your heart. See, well, then how do I know, Brother Andrew, if it's just coming from an intellectual standpoint of faith or whether it's coming from my heart? Because quite often when it comes from an intellectual standpoint, the second thought out of your mind is, well, that didn't work. But when it comes from your heart, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of how bad it gets, regardless of if it turns around the other direction and you're claiming this over here and it's going that way, if it's from the heart, you're going to believe it anyways. And you're going to take that anyways. If it's from the mind, the minute it starts going that way, you'll immediately start thinking, maybe I missed it. Maybe I had the wrong quote. I better look deeper. I better get back on that table app. I better get back in that Bible app. Find myself a better scripture that better suits my circumstances. That's not how the faith of God operates. It doesn't operate by finding the right scripture and quote for your circumstance. It operates by your circumstance meeting the word of God. Oh, hallelujah. See, because God's wisdom creates an unforeseen present well, ensuring a certain and a foreseen end. Man's wisdom craves a seen and certain present while creating an unforeseen and uncertain end, but God's wisdom is the opposite. It creates an unforeseen present while ensuring a certain and a foreseen end. Hallelujah. You talk about Aaron. Going into the, for the first time, going into the tabernacle, going into the holy place, going into the holiest of holies. You want to talk about an uncertainty. He was told you got to walk a certain way. You got to have the blood. You got to do a certain thing. And this has never been done before. There's an uncertainty to it. There's an unforeseen to it. Where as soon as that veil parts and he steps through there and it goes again, he's cut off from the rest of the world. Nobody has any idea what's going on in there. And he's nervous and he's just there in the presence of God, continuing to walk in a certain way so that all they would know, I'm still alive, I'm still alive, I'm still alive. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. It's all he has to go off of. There's no certainty. I could imagine the rest of the priests almost holding their breath, hanging on to a rope tied around his waist. Oh, Lord, please. Lord, please. They'd seen the glory of God on the mountain. That caused them to fear and exceedingly quake. And oh, my, they were scared and they were terrified. And they said, let Moses speak to us. And even on that mountain, it said, if anyone, even an animal, would touch that mountain, drive them through with a javelin. Now here's a man going into that same presence all by himself with nothing but the blood of a lamb. 
It was an unforeseen present, but there was a certain end to it that all of the, 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 the acceptance of the children of Israel rested on his shoulders. The sins of the children of Israel rested on his shoulders till he sprinkled that blood on the mercy seat so that they could go another year. He had to do that. It had to happen. There was a certain end that there was forgiveness on this mercy seat that was to be displayed through the blood and the high priest coming out saying it's good. God has accepted our sacrifice. Praise be to God. But the current present was very unforeseen. But that was God's wisdom. Oh, my. Would you think for a moment there's Bible stories that are very familiar to all of us of David and Abigail. When David went down and he was protecting Nabal's sheep. He was protecting his sheep, his herds, his flocks. And there he was protecting them. And he went down, he sent down his, his, uh, an envoy down to Nabal at the, at the shearing time. And he told them to basically go down and, and accept my hospitality. We are here to accept your hospitality because by law, because he was protecting his sheep and his herds, he was allotted a certain portion. They had to give him a certain portion as payment. That was what the law required. But here, because David was an outlaw, Nabal said, oh, forget it. I'm not giving you anything. Well, who, who do you think you are? And he was a rich man, wise in his own conceit. And we know that the, the word went back to David, and David was very wroth. David became very angry and he was going down. He wanted to kill all of the house of Nabal. He was ready to wipe them out. He was ready. He had 600 trained warriors that he was ready to go down, slay them. There wasn't going to be one left. But that would have been sin, a stain on the mark of David. That is said that David was no different than Saul. That when David got angry, he went to killing people. But there was one by the Spirit of God in her that came and began to make intercession on Nabal's behalf. She came and threw herself at the feet of David and began to cry out and begin to say, Have mercy on my Lord. Oh my, if he would have known, if I would have known. She said, If I would have known that, that, that these things that you'd asked, I would have given them. Forgive my master for my sake. Here is all that you've asked for and more. And she began to intercede on his behalf. Now, I want you to understand something. David was given a sharp rebuke by Nabal. David then had shame because of it. There was shame brought on his name because he was to be the next king. And if he was to do nothing about it, perhaps he'd be seen as a spineless king. People would have to look on him and say, why? Somebody wronged him and he did nothing about it. Therefore, who cares what David says? I'll do whatever I want. Because he's not going to do anything anyways because he's too scared. So now this created an unforeseen present. Well, now David is stuck because he realizes, I've got to accept this now. I'm going to accept this. And God, and, 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 and God through Abigail softens his heart and he accepts the gifts. And he doesn't go down to slay Nabal. But now it's in God's hands. Because now it could be said that David was soft. It could be said that David was not fit to be king. It could be said that David didn't, didn't, didn't pursue and he didn't, he didn't uh, fulfill the law. What was he going to do? Well, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. 
that Nabal, upon hearing it, the Bible records, I believe his heart turned to stone and he died. Why? Because he was sorely afraid. Who did it? God did it. And by, 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 by David then at that point taking the unforeseen present, God gave him an expected end. All that was Nabal's, it all came under David's control. All of his herds, not just a little bit, all of it. And his wife. All of these things became under David's now. When he would have gone down slaying it all, all for nothing. God intervened. Oh, the wisdom of God. If we just seek him first. Let's turn to Romans chapter 4. just close with this because oh my it's alright still on page 1 of 22 so doing good Romans chapter 4 and verse 1 says, What shall we say then? That Abraham our father as pertaining to the flesh hath found. For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now, to him that worketh, is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Even so David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Now, this doesn't make a lot of sense to man's wisdom. Man's wisdom is if you've done something wrong, there's a penalty to pay. But here David begins to write, even under the law, David begins to write, say, blessed is the man to whom God does not impute sin whose iniquities are forgiven, their sins are covered. He begins to tap into something that goes beyond what you can see. It goes beyond the present. It goes beyond a certain present that you're looking at. And in the human mind, you need to understand, the human mind of what he's, what he's looking at, he's sinned greatly. There's a great sin that's happened. There has to be a penalty. There has to be something take place. But here David begins to tap into and say, oh, but blessed is the man to whom God does not impute sin. That, that God looks at the unseen. That God would look at his heart. That God would look beyond what a man can understand. And God would look on the heart of man and say, I forgive him. Now, 
says, cometh this blessedness then upon the circumcision only, but upon the uncircumcision also. For we, for we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. Now, was it then reckoned when he was in circumcision or in uncircumcision? Not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness, of the faith, which he had yet being uncircumcised, that he might by be the father of all them that believe, though they be not circumcised, that righteousness might be imputed unto them also, and the father of circumcision to them who are not of the circumcision only, but who also walk in the steps of that faith of our father Abraham which he had being yet uncircumcised. Now, there's two sides to this because this is talking, one, naturally about the Jew and the Gentile. Saying that it's talking about those that are of the circumcision is the Jew. Those that are on the uncircumcision is the Gentile. Those that are of the circumcision, he says, listen, this blessedness, this Holy Ghost now, is not just to those that are, that are, that are of the circumcision. But it's also to the Gentiles now. There's a greater faith so that Abraham could be the father of many nations. Could be the father of all them that believe. Not just the father of the Jews naturally, but the father of all them that believe. The father of the faith. Amen. And we find here that, that now there's another side to it also, which is that he had this faith before the circumcision. He believed God before he received the seal or the sign of his faith, the sign of the circumcision. That's why water baptism is not, is not, doesn't change a person because water baptism now, it is an outward sign that there's a faith on the inside that you believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins and that the atonement that was made is sufficient for it and that he is giving you or going to give you the Holy Ghost which is the circumcision, amen, which is the, the seal, as Ephesians 1 would put it, the seal until the day of your redemption, or it is a sign. Now it says in verse 12, as we read it, it said, but who also walk in the steps of that faith, not the steps of a faith, of, of, of some faith, but that faith, the same faith that Abraham, what was the faith of Abraham? The faith that Abraham had was that he took God at his word. It wasn't just a greater thing or something that was just for me and just for you. No, it was a faith that said whatever the word of God says. The Bible says to be steadfast in the faith that was once delivered. Once delivered. Not something that's delivered over and over and brought again and brought new and brought. No, it was once delivered. Once the Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost. And it keeps raining, but it's not another spirit. It's not another son. It's the same son. It's the same spirit. Yeah. It says, for the promise that he should be heir of the world was not to Abraham... Or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void, and the promise made of none effect, because the law worketh wrath. 
For where no law is, there is no transgression. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace. To the end of the promise, it might be sure to all the seed. Not, that, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is, which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Amen. By grace are you saved. I thank the Lord it's not by works. It doesn't matter what Abraham did. Though he did many mighty things. That wasn't what God was looking at. God didn't suddenly gave him the circumcision when he said, okay, now you've had Isaac, now go up and sacrifice him. And he did this great work where he went up there on the mountain, he was ready to sacrifice Isaac. That wasn't when the promise came. God imputed righteousness way before that. Way before he ever done anything like that. Because he believed God. As it is written... I have made thee a father of many nations. Before him who believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead, and calleth those things which be not as though they were, who against hope believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations. According to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. Now, Consider those words for a moment because here he begins to outline the wisdom of God. Against hope. Against the present time. Against what you could see right now. The guide was looking beyond the scene trail. He was looking around the corner to what Abraham could not see. But Abraham trusted in that rather than his own seeing. So against hope, the hope was lost. The deadness of Sarah's womb, if we were to continue reading, the deadness of Abraham, the deadness of Sarah's womb, there was no hope in the present time. But he took God's wisdom, which was to look to the unseen, to look to something that could not be quantified by the wisdom of man. That man could not put a, put a single finger on every doctor could look at him and say, it's impossible. It's not going to happen. Even Sarah began to look at it and say, maybe God meant to give you Hagar. And you'd have the promised son through Hagar. That was the wisdom of a man, a woman. And she found that that was her wisdom, not God's wisdom. Because God wasn't looking at the present state. He was looking at a certain end saying, I will give you a son, therefore I will give you a son. Amen. Praise be to God. Oh my. I need to bring this forward so I don't leave you in Abraham's day. Because we're living today as the seed of Abraham. We're living today as, a, as, as, a, as his descendant spiritually. His seed spiritually. That there's something beyond that, 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 as the scripture said, and we read it in, in Corinthians. Not that way, that way. First Corinthians chapter 2, where now it begins to talk about in verse 14, it says, But the natural man 
receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. They are not naturally discerned. You don't look at the Word of God. That's why theologians have so scrupled up the Word of God. And men through the ages have so scrupled it up. Why? Because they've looked at it through natural eyes. And to them it is still foolishness. They can't put it together because only the things of God can be spiritually discerned by His Spirit. It's always so amazing to me when someone that will come out, and, and, and we, the Catholic Church does it, the, the denominations do it, after much prayer and supplication, we've decided to do such and such, and it's totally against the Word. It always amazes me because I've, I've talked to many religious people, denominational, Baptists, different ones, where they say, yes, but we, we've accepted the, the, the church's teaching on the LGBT because after much prayer and supplication, this is what they've decided. What? But what about the Word? You've got natural man trying to discern something naturally without the Spirit of God to lead and guide them into what? The truth. It doesn't lead you any other way. It won't take you any other way. It says, but he that is spiritual judgeth all things. Yet he himself is judged of no man. Not a natural man. He that is spiritual. He that's looking on Christ is looking to God. As long as Joshua was looking to God, it didn't matter what anybody else said. It didn't matter who else was judging, who else was speaking, who else was saying anything against or for him. He was a spiritual man looking on the things of God. Verse 16 says, For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. Now let me close with this thought. It says, Who can instruct him? Who has the mind of the Lord that he may instruct you? But we have the mind of Christ. That is the mind that has wisdom. I'll leave you with one type, and that was Moses. When Moses was in the presence of God after the people were so much murmuring and complaining, God began to step forward and say, Step aside, Moses, I'll just wipe them out. And through you, I'll create a new nation. I'll raise up a nation, I'll raise up a seed. I'll do it through Moses. But Moses had the mind of Christ. Moses had something that was beyond the wisdom of man because man's wisdom said that would have said that sounds great. I'm sick of these murmuring people do. I don't know how they're ever going to take you at your word because every time we take one step forward, they're complaining. Every time we turn to the right, they complain. Turn to the left, they complain. Go back to the wilderness, they complain. Try and go over Jordan, they complain. I don't know what to make them happy with. My wisdom says, get somebody else. Because these people are stubborn people. But Moses had a greater mind. Moses had something different. Moses had tapped into the mind of Christ. That he began to look and he began to say, God, that's not your wisdom. Your wisdom said you take these people. You would lead these people out with a mighty hand. You would lead them out. You would lead them into a land flowing with milk and honey. It wasn't just a different people. You'd raise up a new people. No, it was Abraham's seed. Those are the ones. God can't break his word. 
That is the mind of Christ. That is the wisdom of Christ. That's why he says if you could just come and take him at his word. Regardless of the present state, no matter how unseen it is, no matter how much it looks uncertain, and there's no way it can go forward, but there's a certain end. Hallelujah. He said in Jeremiah, as the, as, the, as the musicians would come, Jeremiah 29, verse 11 says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you an expected end. Doesn't speak a lot in that verse about the journey, it speaks about the end. I'll give you an expected end. And today in Satan's Eden, they've desired to so twist that and pervert that. Say it's not about the destination, it's about the journey. Have the best time you can have. That's Satan's Eden. It's not about the journey, it's about the destination. It's about where you're going. Let that dictate where you're at right now. Because there has to be a guide to get to this destination. Say, oh, it's about the journey. If it's about the journey, what I'm looking at looks impossible. But it's about the end, and the guide knows the end. The guide knows where the summit is. He knows how to get there. He knows the best way up the next ice cliff. He knows the best way across the next crevice. He knows the best way to get there if we could just put our trust in him. Let's stand to our feet. softly play something sister if we just bow our heads together everyone with our heads bowed and our eyes closed perhaps tonight I spent a bit of time spinning my wheels and just trying to get the car going in the right direction but there's something that that we need to understand as the bride of Christ. The scripture says that he that heareth my words, or in other words, he that understandeth my words and believeth on him that sent me shall have everlasting life. There's something we need to understand in the word of God. It's not about right now. It's about the future. It's about the end. It's about the destination. It's about that he's bringing you there. What's happening right now is because he's preparing you for that. It might look like a windy trail that you're winding back and forth and back and forth. And it might seem like you're not getting much anywhere. Why? Because God's molding you, shaping you, getting you ready. Why? This is the wisdom of Christ, that even the wisdom of Christ there with the children of Israel out in the wilderness, wandered around for 40 years waiting for somebody that would take him at his word, waiting for a people that would get under Joshua, would get under Caleb, and would listen and say, yes, we're more than able. God has a mind in this day. There's a season right now, a bright age, a season that the word of God is coming to maturity. It's coming to a place where I believe there's a people here tonight that are looking, not looking to just wander around in the wilderness for 40 years, but saying, Lord, I believe. Lord, I believe. I 
I wonder if there's anyone here that just wants to raise your hand and say, Lord, I'm sorry for the times I didn't believe. I'm sorry for the times I've looked to my own wisdom, to what I thought was best. I want to lay it down at your feet now. Say, Lord, from this day forward, let me just look to God. Let me look to you, Lord Jesus. Lord, my own hands are raised. Father, I'm sorry, Lord. Lord, you see every hand that is raised here. You know every situation. You know every heart, oh God. Lord, the hearts of man is not hid from you. Our thoughts are not hid from you. Father, you know them, Lord Jesus. And we want today to open up our hearts and say, Father, forgive us. Forgive me, Lord, for the times I've, I've taken my own life, my own circumstances, out of the hands of the one who knows best. Out of the hands of the one who is, knows the end from the beginning. Out of the hands of the one who knows every hair of my head. And I thought that I could do it better on my own. Father, forgive me. Father, forgive each one that stands here present. Each one that's in the streaming. Each one that, Lord, is in, under the influence of my voice. Lord, that would come with a contrite heart tonight. Say, Lord, I'm sorry that I've taken things in my own hands. I'm sorry that I've leaned on my own wisdom to try and get myself ahead. Lord, let me lean on your wisdom, Lord. Father, not be concerned about the present things. The Lord, there's circumstances in our lives we cannot understand. There's circumstances, Lord, things that have happened even this past week, we cannot understand. But Lord, we're looking to you. We're looking, oh God, that you would lead us, Lord. You know what's around the next corner. You know what lies ahead, Lord Jesus. Lord, be our God. We put our hand now in yours. Say, Father, have that own way. Let your wisdom, oh God, be revealed to us. Oh, Father, Lord, we love you so much. We are so grateful, Lord, that we can be called the children of Abraham. That we can be called by your name, Lord. Oh, create in us a clean heart, Lord. Renew a right spirit within each one of us, Father. Lord, would you not cast us away for how often we failed? But Lord Jesus, renew a right spirit. Restore each one the joy of our salvation. Forgive me, Father, even for just the chopped up service. Try and, Lord, just relay what you've put on my heart. Father, would you have the preeminence now? Make it real to us, Lord, as we look to you. If you would tarry, Lord, till Sunday, may you watch over each one. Be with us, Lord. And, Father, may you anoint the words then. Even so, come, Lord Jesus, come. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. playing sister listen to me blessed be blessed be your name oh blessed be
Yes, Lord, bless it. 